You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Scott Lunn. Good morning, everyone. Um, we want to thank everyone who's joined us live for our South Niagara Conversation Series. Uh, joining me is my co-host, Scott Lunn. He's the general manager of 1051 The River and 101.1 More FM. Always a mouthful. Scott, how are you doing this morning? Uh, thanks very much, Dolores. I'm doing well. I think winter has finally arrived, so just <laughs> trying to stay warm. <laughs> with a vengeance. Yes, yes. I'd say with a vengeance. <laughs> Uh, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Brian uh, LaChapelle and his team at B4 Networks. They provide all of the technical support that we need uh, for most of our uh, programming. Uh, They're geniuses and Brian is just uh, supportive of everything we do. So Brian, good morning. Hope you're doing well. Morning. Doing very well. Thanks. Great. Well, this past month, um, there's been so much happening in in the U.S. Um, You know, we've watched here uh, from the Canadian side. There's been some scary moments. um, There's been some inspiring moments. And there's been some change. So we've been watching and we have lots of uh, lots of questions. And um, we we think it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So, Scott, who do we have joining us this morning? Uh, Dolores, thank you. Yes, we've got uh, Corey Schuler is with us, who's the executive director of the Niagara USA Chamber. Uh, Craig Turner, who's president of the World Trade Buffalo Niagara. And Kevin Jacoby as well, who's the owner of Six Squared Studios and also the executive director of Canada BW. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We've got lots of questions, lots of things to talk about. Obviously, the pandemic uh, is at the top of mind right now. It's uh, Monday was the one year anniversary uh, of the first COVID case in Canada. Uh, our beloved border has been closed for 10 months. So I'm sure that will uh, dominate a lot of the chat today. And of course, there's been just a little bit of news in the U.S. in the last uh, month. So um, why don't we start maybe with Craig and then we'll go to Corey. Craig, uh, maybe give us a bit of a, an overview of what's happening. And then, Corey, you can talk a little bit more about uh, what's happened locally. So, Craig, I'll turn it over to you first to see just what the, uh, what the feeling is down there. These days. Thanks, Scott. Um, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, January was very interesting on many levels uh, here on the U.S. side. Um, relative to uh, the, the inauguration, even, I mean, election questions leading right up to the inauguration and then, and then all kinds of things that happened, happened surrounding it. And then uh, the new president, uh, President Biden off uh, in a fury at the beginning with some executive orders that uh, I think a lot of people didn't expect. So um, obviously watching everything very closely um, the, the, you know, here on the border, I've got my Niagara Falls picture behind me here, the, uh, here on the border, uh, we, we always say that we see things a little bit differently than Washington and Ottawa do. And a lot of our advocacy work that we do is really, uh, intended to get, uh, the decision makers in the capitals to understand what we see on a daily basis. So we see the border very differently. We see uh, commerce across the border very differently. We definitely see tourism very differently and the needs for it. So uh, the, the, the challenges surrounding the border, I think, I think uh, given the, the tone of the 
dialogue and the relationship between the U.S. and Canada the last four years. And I say the tone and the and the rhetoric and the dialogue because, um, you know, in the end, we signed a historic free trade agreement among the three countries. So that so things did get done, even with a lot of pain and and infighting in the um, in the background. Um, but certainly uh, everyone expected with the new president, the, the tone at least would change. And then there would be a, a little more of a buddy type relationship between the two countries. But one of the first things that happened was President Biden opened up his 14 day window where he wanted a, a plan for the border. We're going to get the border open. We're going to get the border working. And the very next day, uh, the prime minister came out and said, no, nah, we're actually going to lock down travel a little bit more than we even have it now, which, which I think caught a lot of people off guard. Um, you know, those of us on this call, we, we follow this every day. So we've been watching the border. We know what's, I don't think, you know, maybe I'll speak for them. They'll probably speak for themselves at some point too. I don't think anybody on this panel envisions that the border is going to open anytime soon, but we like the idea of having conversations. We like the idea of, um, of looking at solutions that may have been used in other places already too. Uh, and that's kind of where, where that's what we're working on on a daily basis here. Okay, uh, thanks, uh, um, Craig. Uh, lots of interesting uh, things coming down the pipe, and a lot of uh, seems like a lot of different opinions on, on both sides as to how this border is going to move forward. Uh, Corey, uh, on, on more of a of a local level, um, what's the what's the feeling? Is there a lot of fear? What's what's happening uh, right now from your your membership and, and the folks in the, in the Niagara region? I think right now what you're seeing is the fear of the unknown. As Craig kind of alluded to, uh, the new administration, I think, has broken the record for most executive orders signed um, by an incoming president. Um, and those orders are coming so quickly and so so rapidly, you don't always have an understanding of how they're going to impact uh, the membership. Um, you know, some of the energy policies certainly going to um, impact. Obviously, we saw things with the Keystone Pipeline coming to a halt, so those have to be addressed. And while we're kind of sifting through all, all of that stuff, we're also, people forget that we're still dealing with um, a pandemic. Um, I know, you know, yesterday they announced that the first strain of the UK variant uh, was found in Niagara County. So, you know, that adds a new, a new wrinkle to this whole COVID problem. Um, and the businesses are concerned about, you know, the mixed messaging that's going on here. So we're trying to reopen you know, if, if you've seen, you know, New York State sort of re relax their, their color zones, their orange and their yellow zones, but the numbers that we're all kind of following don't really coincide with the zones being relaxed. So, you know, there's just some confusion as, as while we're happy to hear things are reopening, we're also getting messages from the federal side that maybe we should be wearing two masks or, you know, you are seeing these new strains. So people really right now just... I think they're just sort of shell-shocked trying to figure this all out. And every day there's something new in the news. Um, and it's hard for people like, you know, Dolores and myself and Craig that have membership uh, to keep everybody informed because the minute we send something out, it changes the next day. Um, so that's that's been a, a big difficulty right now. Uh, Corey, I think, you know, this is a public health crisis that has created an economic crisis. And so we're dealing with two huge issues uh, at the same time. And, and we weren't prepared. <laughs> I mean, who could have predicted? 
I think back to, you know, almost a year ago, um, I was getting ready to attend your annual gala. Yes. Uh, I believe it was being hosted at the at the Seneca Casino, a big gala that you guys host every year. It's your signature event. I know that Kevin's been in attendance in the past. And, you know, it really hit me uh, when you called me just a few days before your gala, because I certainly can appreciate how much time, effort, resources go into planning those events, right? Like, they're huge. And you called me a few days before to say, they're telling us we have to cancel. And I, I remember laughing, saying, what? Get out of here. Come on. And you said, no, I'm serious. We have to cancel. And... I remember hanging up the phone and I was in shock and, uh, you know, I went out to talk to the staff and say, guess what? And we were all like, just shocked because that doesn't happen. Like that's, that's major, but who could have thought that, that, that was the beginning of, of everything that's transpired and, and we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Right. Yeah. So January was the the first year anniversary of it appearing. Um, March was when things really in the U.S. started shutting down, and the gala was one of the first events that was canceled. If you would have, you know, asked me ten months later where where I thought we would be, I, never in a million years would I thought that this is this is the state of the world right now. And I don't think, you know, even going forward. Um, Learning from that lesson, I think the one thing we all learned is predictability has gone out the window. <laughs> it's true. You you can't really, you know, plan for even tomorrow because things change so quickly. So, you, you know, um, the new variants are out, you know, the one from Brazil, the one from South America. Um, they're, they're telling us they're more contagious. So do we plan for events happening again in the summer, in the fall? Do we continue with, you know, virtual type of events? Um, it's really hard to, to know what to do. I think the thing is, you have to be flexible. And you have to be able to, I hate the word because it's been so overused, but you have to be able to pivot. Like really <laughs> I knew you were going to say able, that. <laughs> you, come up with another word, because I'm, I'm tired of using it. But but it really is the right word. You, you got to be agile and you got to be able to flip um, when the time is right. Kevin, you must be experiencing, you know, a lot of the same with your businesses. Uh, we are. Uh, so primarily that, so my hobby company, Six Square, and that we do e-commerce. So obviously there was a huge uh, impact on there and we started seeing uh, courier services being uh, inundated with extra. So they weren't taking on extra clients. Uh, delays and things going on, even being able to put parcels domestically into the U.S. Uh, mail system. That stopped in March. Uh, we haven't been over there for, oh, well, going on 10 months uh, crossing the border. Uh, with Canopy W, we do a lot with food and beverage. Uh, and a lot of these things rely on sales to uh, restaurants uh, and to bars. Uh, and it was devastating. Uh, you had people trying to pivot by trying to do hand sanitizer and the like. So we saw a lot of uh, breweries, distilleries step up to the plate to do that. It was fantastic. Uh, the downside of that is when they started doing that, and it was a great relief to local businesses. We saw four or five months later when the big boys got back into it, they got pushed aside. They lost the, the contracts and it, it, it impacted them significantly because all of a sudden they invested on getting these things done for the community 
And a lot of times they were doing it at cost. Uh, that's something that's not really said a heck of a lot in, in the marketplace. And all of a sudden now they have these huge losses because the stuff that they brought in to put out there isn't needed because the other people had contracts with Johnson & Johnson or the likes uh, for that. I think the, the word instead of pivot we have to worry about is, is the word reasonable. Um, and that's the challenge we're having on both sides of it. So what is reasonable expectations for the actions we're taking? At the beginning, we shut everything down and we saw significant uh, surges. But politics is a popularity contest. They couldn't maintain that reasonable response to a pandemic. And we start opening things up in drip, uh, drips and drabs. And of course, we saw numbers go up higher and higher and higher. Uh, we also saw the idea of reasonable is why are some rules made for some companies and not for others? Or why is it that a big box store can sell batteries, uh, but the local electronics store can't be open at the moment? These, these are challenges about being reasonable. And the idea, too, of reasonable is as we gain more information from our scientists, that we have to expect that we're going to be changing what we do. And it's not because we were wrong. It's that we are more informed. So it's, it's a huge challenge right now. Uh, trying to do that and stop the reaction, which we have this uh, massive surge the other side saying now it's fake or I don't need to wear a mask or uh, I should be able to go anywhere I want to go uh, for that because people are just burnt out. Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. Um, I know that on our side with our businesses, our members, um, it's almost been surprising, but, but they are very much on side with whatever we need to do to ensure safety first. So safety for their employees, safety for their customers. Um, um, that's priority number one. Um, and that's, you know, you don't always get that because sometimes businesses really don't want government <laughs> um, in their business. And government has had to step, step up and lead and make some tough decisions. But we have found in some of the surveys that we've done that our businesses have been very supportive of, of that intervention. Um, you know, one example is the uh, local um, mask bylaw. Uh, we did a quick survey to see how, how many businesses supported, you know, a mask bylaw. Mm -hmm. And it was through the roof. They were very supportive, which, which did surprise me a little bit. Um, what are you finding on your side? Are, are, are businesses responding in the same way or is it a little different? Yeah, so we've been essential service. So we've been open all the way through the pandemic, uh, but we've had to change, make changes in how we do business to protect both our staff and to be able to maintain that uh, flow of goods going through our warehouses. Uh, so we had to restrict access to the building. Uh, we had to uh, put in a higher level of uh, integrity to how we monitor sick days, uh, temperature being taken on anyone coming into the building, uh, make sure we have those paths. Uh, so people understand those situations and are working through and we're adapting to what has to be done. And quite frankly, in that, maybe it's something that should have been done well before the pandemic. Maybe there should have been more, more controls put in place to protect everyone. So you don't have a situation where well, Canada Post, uh, beginning of this week in that, they had the major uh, depot in Mississauga shut down, uh, which has caused a huge disruption in mail service because they had an outbreak. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the idea that our borders are still fluid, even being shut down, because we have trucks going back and forth? So Craig and I are part of ITCO as well. And so we, we understand that that's a necessity. That's essential service. How do you treat those truck drivers that 
they don't have any stops to be able to go to the washroom. Do you allow them into the building to be able to have some dignity and be able to use it because they've been on the road for eight hours? Or do you maintain a zero tolerance of having people um, coming into the building, have them wait outside in their trucks? Right. I think you have to use some common sense and try to figure out how do we stop it? How, how do we maintain it? And, but while still respecting the people that are part of our teams, be it in our company or suppliers or distributors for our company. I think a lot of the protocols that we've now put in place will, will be with us for a long, long time. Corey, what are you seeing on your side with businesses? Are, are they embracing, um, you know, protocols that, that have been mandated? Are they, what, what, what's happening on your side? Well, I don't know if I would necessarily use the term embrace. <laughs> I think they're <laughs> accepting them right. and embracing them are kind of two different things. Um, I think one of the issues is nobody wants the blowback by not enforcing these. So it's in the business's best interest to enforce the mask mandate, social distancing, hand sanitizing, and safety, which is, which is smart and which is needed to kind of, you know, get these numbers back in check. Um, part of the issue is, and I know on our side anyway, the, the rules have been so convoluted and have changed so often that you get businesses that are either, they're either in trouble because they think they're following the rules and they're not, or they've just kind of lost sight of what rules they should be following. So we had COVID rules in place, then we moved to color zones. So, you know, yellow, orange, red. Um, a perfect example here in Niagara County, now Erie County is literally, you know, a stone's throw away. Erie County went into an orange zone, which is a, high, a higher state of, of caution. Um, Niagara, for the most part, was still in yellow. So a lot of the folks in Erie County just traveled to Niagara County to eat in restaurants, to get their hair done at salons. Um, so it kind of created this issue of, well, wait a minute, how we're kind of pitting community against community. So it's, it's been very difficult. Um, and on a national level, you know, we have, you, you're hearing, talk about things you never want to hear again. Um, not only do I not want to hear the word pivot, but you hear this phrase and it's kind of, it's kind of come back into, into a, uh, our vernacular is rules for thee and not for me. So you have the people that are making the rules that are not following the rules. So you have, you know, these gotcha moments where politicians are caught eating at restaurants, at parties, traveling, you know, traveling around the country, traveling out of the country. And when that happens, then you see blowback where businesses now decide, well, we don't, we shouldn't have to follow those same rules. Um, in New York state, there's been, and Craig, you can probably speak to this better than I can, but there's been quite a few lawsuits filed against the state government. And for the most part, the state government, I think, has either lost most of them or they've acquiesced before they've wound their way through the court system. Um, so it's been this very interesting kind of time where, you know, you have businesses that are really adhering, you have businesses that have swung that say, we're just over this, we've lost so much revenue and we're not gonna be able to stay open unless we fight against these. Um, things. So, and Craig, you can probably speak a little bit better on that than I can. Yeah. I think the, I think the lawsuits and, and both Corey and Kevin touched on, it, I, I think that the prevalence of lawsuits and the fact that they are, let's say getting results, whether they're, they're winning the lawsuits or the, the changes are coming before the lawsuit is, is decided um, speaks to the, the inconsistency. And I think that's a challenge. I don't think it's, I don't think it's unique to 
uh, New York or Ontario. I think I think everybody, as Kevin said, the 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 rules are changing. And by the rules, I don't mean the political rules. I mean the the rules of the virus. There's new science coming out every day, and there's a lot of different. Uh, uh, different pieces of information that come out. Um, but the inconsistency, I think, is what's making it difficult and leading to the lawsuits. And, and the challenge, and I, and I wear a couple different hats. I run World Trade Center, I run ECO, but I also run, a, I own a small business uh, here based in, uh, in Tonawanda. And um, so I'm see, I see everything through that lens too. Um, and it, the inconsistencies, just as Corey said, has left people kind of wondering. And, and unfortunately, it really manifested itself um, with... Um, these yellow and orange zones because you've got uh, restaurants and gyms and hair salon you've got all these businesses that earlier in the year over the summer made significant investment to be able to continue to operate under the current set of rules and then all of a sudden they're shut down and they're like oh my goodness i i uh, you know I, I know not only not only am i shut down but now i'm out all the money that i invested and yes there were there were governmental programs to to cover some of it you know in some places but you know and i i kind of have a a poster child, and that's a little bit of a pun because you'll you'll hear in a second. Um, one of the things, just as an example, in New York, if you go back to the original executive order for small businesses, the rule on masks is: if you're in a if you're in a business, you have to wear a mask if you are inside and you cannot social distance six feet for ten minutes. That's the rule. Okay. Now, what what happens is. When you go from store to store to store to store, you see a different poster in each window. Now, I, my challenge with that is when the Department of Labor, the State Department of Labor, makes a rule, a, new, a tiny little thing on their poster, every business in the state gets that poster and you have to hang this by Tuesday or else you're going to get fined, all right? So there's, there's this level of communication. So here's something that I would argue is far more important <laughs> than that little change on the Department of Labor board. And they left it up to the companies to do themselves. So you have everything from uh, on one side, you have a store uh, saying you have to wear a mask because I'm going to bash the governor. It's his fault. And da, da, da. On this side, you have uh, you have to wear a mask or you're going to kill all of our clients. Uh, and then somewhere in the middle. And there's all different. I, there's a grocery store right up the street here that has two different signs with two different messages on it. There's a little stand-up uh, triangle outside that says you have to do one thing. And then on the window, it says something completely different. And it's very, very confusing. And this is, this is, what, this is what makes it, you know, to answer your original question, do the, are the businesses adhering? Are they doing what they're, yeah, I think everybody wants to do the right thing. Nobody wants a case. I mean, it's a little bit different now when there's so many cases back to the summer when they were pinpointing this one happened there, this one happened there, but nobody wants a case coming out of their, out of their business. Everybody's going to do their part to do it, but they want consistency. They want to, you know, as Kevin said, why can we have 150 people in Walmart, but I can't have four people in my small business. Those, those kind of questions have left a lot of people um, aggravated. And, and that's where you get into the, I'm just going to do my own thing, unfortunately, but that, that's, that, that, happens and then we see a lot of fines and things so uh, yeah it's inter it's very interesting yeah the um the rules seem to change and and again you know it's a public health crisis so so that's to be expected um but i, I think you know businesses um do want to do the right thing and i think what we have to understand is when we eventually come out of this um and we talked a little bit about this on last week's podcast people's habits have changed 
right? So you're, you're used to doing things differently. We've all been uh, housebound uh, for the most part. And some people love that, right? Uh, you know, the whole couch potato. Um, and some people don't. But people's habits have changed. And I think it's very naive to think that, that when, you know, we come out of this, whatever that means, that we're going to flip a switch and everything goes back to, you know, the way it was and, and people are out there spending money and, and, and going to different businesses. That's not going to happen. Um, and one of the big things, um, you know, that, that we'll have to have in place is, is safety. Like if, if, if a business um, hasn't done the things that they need to do to make sure that their customers feel safe, feel secure, feel, feel comfortable going to their place of business, they're done, right? So, so right now we have the opportunity um, for businesses to, to put those protocols in place, to you know, look, look to the future. What else will I need to do to make sure that my customers are going to feel comfortable when I can invite them back into, into my you know, facility? They have to be doing that now. And, um, and, I, and I think that's going to go a long way into getting people, people back because uh, it, it's not just going to be you know, a flow of people just dying to do whatever they used to do before. I think it's, it's on it's on the personal side too, Dolores. And I agree. I agree with Kevin. Uh, he said something pretty significant, which is maybe we need to look at what we should have been doing all along. I mean, right. there are there are things people should be washing their hands. People should be covering their mouth when they cough. And and yes, I understand that some of the rules might need to be changed. But if you're sick, you should stay home. Whether you have COVID, the flu, or, or whatever. Um, and sometimes the rules make it tough. The employer wants you to be there. They'll force it. I, I understand all that. And there, there is some conversations to be had around that. But the, uh, you know, the, the, the personal role that people take and that we were joking before the call started because Corey said that he, he, uh, he gets claustrophobic uh, at places like Disney. Uh, and, and I'm a huge Disney fan and I'm looking at the thing and personally, I, I'm not going to go back to Disney if I have to wear a mask all day. Obviously we're just, our family's not going to do that because, because uh, that's not an enjoyable vacation for us. I know many people don't have a problem with it, but when they talk about the social distancing, I'm okay with that. I've, I've been to Disney many times and had thousands of people on top of me. And if they can, if they can keep some of those things in place, I think it's a, cause I've been to I've had three separate trips where someone on my, someone in my family got sick at Disney, and we were we were grounded for three days in the middle of, in the middle of the trip. So um, so we see that and we're like, oh, you know, I see what they're doing with the X's on the floor and things like that, and we're like, okay, that sounds like something that would be worth keeping. So, um, but I think there is, as Kevin said, what what should we have been doing all along anyway that that's going to come out of this as uh, as best practices going forward. And I think we have to be realistic too. Our businesses, especially being like uh, with the chambers as well, is our storefronts have to understand why they should be open. Uh, and it, they have to become experts in their field. They have to have a reason for people to choose them. We already start seeing pressures from online sales with Amazon or all the other platforms well before this happened. This just accelerated it. So we now have a situation where they have to figure out how are they vital to the market they're selling. If they're selling generic items that can be easily bought online and deliver the next day while we're having a glass of wine and shopping on our computer the night before, 
why do we want to now travel out to go there unless there's a value-added statement given by that company of why we are going to them as experts in their field or because it's a specific niche product itself. We can't keep on uh, relying on that buy local thing and, and saying this is the right thing to do because dollars speak and some families may struggle and we're going to do what's going to be give them the most bang for their buck, the most reasonable way of spending their time to get these things done. So it, it's going to be very interesting, especially I'm old enough to remember consumers distributing. Uh, <laughs> sort of thing. So if you remember that, because uh, I remember the, the biggest memory I have of them is the Star Wars action figures because they were just coming out and they gave us a cardboard uh, cutout because they weren't ready yet. It was, mm -hmm. it was for it, but those stores didn't have you browsing. You went in there, you filled a piece of paper and put it in. So it's kind of a precursor to what we've been doing on Amazon. It's just the, the manual approach to it. Right. Now the stores are doing curbside pickups and the like. So how do you differentiate? Why are they coming to pick up at your store? And that's, those are the type of things that we have to help our clients, uh, our companies figure out. Yeah, uh, that was before my time, consumers uh, distributing, did you say? Yeah, before my time. But well, it's just like Olson store and Little House on the Prairie. So I'll quote that to your childhood that way. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'll deal with you later. What did, we, what did we have? Distributors <laughs> Warehouse. Yeah. yeah distributors <laughs> warehouse. You do make a good point, though, Kevin. I, I, um, I really hope that, you know, right now, a lot of our, our businesses are, you know, they're worried about today. They're, they're focused on keeping the doors open today. And, and we really have to get them in a mindset where they're spending some time on focusing on what they have to do for tomorrow, wh whatever tomorrow brings. Because if they're not, when that time comes and the subsidies run out and the loans have to be, be paid back, they're not going to survive. And so I know that, that we've talked about this before, um, certainly at our chamber table, but I, I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet in terms of the fallout for businesses. I think we will see, you know, more business closures, the end of 2021, and then really in 2022, because 2022 is when a lot of those loans, those government loans are, are, um, are due. And I think that's when we're really going to see the impact of, of this pandemic on our um, economy. I don't know what you guys are seeing on your side, uh, Corey and, uh, and Craig, but, but that, that's really what we, what we um, think on our side anyways. No, you're right. And businesses that aren't learning to adapt now, the, the best thing that you just said is it's not about today. It's what are you doing to prepare for tomorrow and next month and the next six months. Um, you know, restaurants are a prime example. You know, that, that's a delicate business to be in anyway. Um, and the restaurants that have really learned, that have really gotten down to a science, their online ordering, their curbside pickup, those will really be sustainable. The ones that haven't been able to manage that or don't offer something that is so outstanding that makes people want to still go there, they're going to have a difficult time. Um, I mean, and I'm somebody that, before the pandemic, literally ate out five nights a week. I mean, if I, I mean, I never ate at home ever. Um, and even now, you know, it, it was weird. Well, thank God I got to start, you know, cooking again. I, I'm not doing that. So when I found the restaurants that I liked that really had the, a really good curbside pickup, um, especially in the earlier stages of the pandemic, when we weren't sure what was really kind of going on, if I even had to go in to pick stuff up, I would not order from that restaurant. 
because I do not want it's I don't want to have to stand around a crowd of people because I'm not we're not sure what's going on yet. Right. Um, but now now that places have ironed that out, those that have really been successful will continue to be successful. I think they're going to not necessarily see a lot of uh, people in the seats, but they'll continue to do a good business on their on their online ordering. Um, and that's what restaurants, that's what even offices now too. The smart thing to be, really the smart money would be, you don't need a large office. You don't need everybody behind a cubicle. Let people, like Craig kind of said, when you're, you know, we should have been doing these things all along. When you're sick, stay home. Well, if you're letting people work from home, right. that's not going to be so much of an issue. So they have to figure out what they want to look like a year from now. If it's if you have not adapted, you're not going to last. And even in our own chamber world, um, you know, I don't know what it's looked like up by you, but the chambers that have really been there for their members and offered important information, helped with guidance on things like payroll protection money, disaster loans, unemployment, you know, all the government guidance. You know, for those of us that really stayed with that and really provided for our members, we're doing okay. I mean, we, for 2020, we had about a 10% drop in membership. So really overall, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I'm, I thought it was going to be a lot worse because in the middle of the year, things looked really, really bad. But the chambers that didn't offer the, that incentive to their members of you, we want you to stay, they're really struggling. And a number of them here are going to close mm. because they just don't have that value added thing that the, the members were looking for. And mm. so right now, as much as we, you know, the vaccines are starting to roll out, even though there's been a lot of hiccups here in the U.S., but as we start looking for what this is going to look like, what the landscape will look like when this is over with, companies need to take this time now to not worry about today. They need to start figuring out what they want to be a year from now. Those that do that will be successful. Those that fail to do that are going to really struggle. And I think it is really going to be uh, a different landscape when we come out. I mean, we've I mean, I've been working from home. Uh, I, I know most of you have been working from home. Some of us have had a, a blend of both, you know, going into the office and working from home. Um, and I, I think that moving forward, it, that's going to continue. I, I think that even our events, um, you know, when we have a Zoom meeting uh, or a Zoom learning forum, first of all, the expense is minimal. Um, secondly, you, you get more people because there's no travel time, you know, an hour session is truly an hour session. You're not, you're not, you know, taking the 15 or 20 or half an hour, um, um, time to, to drive there and drive home. Uh, you lose out on the beforehand chit chat and the after chit chat. And sometimes you want that, but sometimes you don't have time for that. So I'm finding that you, <laughs> good or bad, we're able to do far more of these um, than we would have in person. And I, I mean, Craig, you, you, you said it so beautifully on um, Tuesday, we had our border series, the first part of a two-part border series that uh, Craig uh, moderated for us. And we had a snowstorm and it was a bi-national event. And uh, had that been an in-person event, guess what? we would have had to cancel or we would have had minimal um, participation. So I, I think moving forward, um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, all this or all that. I think it's going to be a blend of what we used to do and what we've become accustomed to doing in the last 10 months. Would, 
Happy to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Dolores, can I, I I'm, I'm going to take a different tack. I'm going to put my World Trade Center back on because yeah. Corey covered the small business side. But we are seeing that uh, with our companies doing business internationally too. And, and I, I should mention for everybody that World Trade Center, we're actually part of the World Trade Center network. There's 330 World Trade Centers around the world. And we are unique among them in that we cover both sides of the border. Um, we are a binational organization. And our territory actually runs all the way from Hamilton to Syracuse. Uh, so, but what's interesting is, is for the larger companies, the manufacturing, the distribution companies, uh, they're in the same boat. They have to look and see because global trade has changed. Uh, we learned a lot about the world in the last, uh, in the last 10, 11 months, um, not only from, um, you know, who's strong, who's able to respond to, uh, uh, to major challenges like this. But, um, you know, companies looking at their own supply chain, you know, am I, are my, are my um, sources, are my resources too far from my headquarters and my plant? Uh, are my customers too far away from my plant? How can I minimize the, the amount of strain on my supply chain uh, that could be caused by this or whatever, whatever the next thing, whatever the next thing is. So companies have been uh, uh, adjusting them. So I'm staying away from the P word that we all agreed not to use. Uh, companies <laughs> have been adjusting and looking forward and seeing what kind of, you know, how they need to balance uh, their ocean shipping, which has been very slow and their, and their trucking and how much more should they be putting into a warehouse to hold on to right now. Um, and Kevin obviously lives this every day, but last mile delivery is the biggest topic right now because it's all, it's all e-commerce. So, and, and there are just frankly, not enough resources for that last mile. So everyone is looking for solutions. What, what's good uh, is that the world is realizing it. We talk about all the time that people do not understand logistics and supply chain. They type their order into Amazon and two days later it shows up at their, uh, at their at their home, but for the last ten months, they've typed their order in Amazon, and it showed up fifteen days later. Some of them I got. I mean, I got a present for my son that I ordered at the beginning of December. I got it three days ago. Um, the question is why? Well, why is because the supply chain is disrupted, is disrupted, and it's given us at World Trade Center and at ITCO an opportunity to really talk to the public about here's. Here's why this happens. Here's why we pay attention to it. Here's why you should as well. And here's why we need more workers on the workforce side. So, so it, it's very interesting to kind of see the, uh, the evolution that the, the manufacturers and the distribution companies are doing right now because it's, it's very, you know, it, it started out at the beginning, started out very reactionary because it needed to. And I, and I, and I think Kevin would agree with me when I say that the reason that the world economy didn't just be destroyed was because supply chain worked and people um uh, the people that work in supply chain that is their job to find solutions um so what was it toilet paper at the beginning and then bicycles and then building supplies all these things that people all of a sudden couldn't get you're starting to see the the bigger picture and now once that that initial shock uh, the world, the global supply chain kicked into gear and uh you know not only did they create solutions to um uh, maintain and keep the global economy going, but now it's you know how is how is life going to look going forward is is the big is the big uh, the big challenge that that the global supply chain faces. Yeah, and, and our companies here in the region. 
the main thing there is redundancy. We were all, we were always told to do just in time because that puts the pressure on your supplier to store the goods and have it done so it's not on your, your books, your cash flow. Uh, we're always told to, you put all your eggs in one basket. So you, you just use FedEx or Purelayer or the post office, the majority of your parcels, because that way you get the best discounts to spring amounts, two or three carriers. This year, that uh, strategy didn't work. There's a great opportunity for small, medium-sized manufacturers and suppliers because now people are saying, hey, I can't just rely on going to company A for all my widgets. I need A, B, and C. So that way, if one's disrupted or goes offline due to an outbreak or for lack of supplies, I still get some stuff from B and C. So there's some great opportunities for small, medium-sized businesses here if they do their work and get those things done. Uh, same with supply chain. We're seeing now that we're going back to the idea of needing these nodes, these community-oriented spaces, so that everything's not just in, for, for Ontario, in Mississauga at a depot, that there's small depots throughout southern Ontario, so that if there's disruption, you can divert things through to one of the other ones. So you may have a one- or two-day delivery, but you don't have a three-week delay for a Christmas present, like, like Craig talked about. Uh, I know we talked about that at go about those things. We're talking about that at NIA. The chamber has been talking about that. And I think that's where the value of the service organizations is going to be is being there and figuring out what the value add is now that we don't have the networking opportunities like we did before with our business after fives or other events. How do we reinvent ourselves so that we're still a value to the community? And there's a lot of value. I'm, I'm so proud of what the chamber and the other groups I belong to have been doing. So we're pretty lucky in our area. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, I thought someone was jumping in there. I just wanted to, just before we, we got to wrap up here fairly soon. I know everyone's got the days ahead of them here, but so one of, one of the industries that we maybe didn't really touch on, we talked a lot about adjusting and, uh, and, and you know, distribution. That's all good things. Things are companies, businesses are doing what they can to adjust. But if I'm a small motel owner or mini putt owner or someone like that um i don't know what adjustments can be made what's the what's the sense of uh things in the hospitality or maybe just more so the tourism industry on that uh, that side of the border maybe we'll start with you corey <laughs> well the the, the ho tourism hospitality industry has been just hit so hard this last 10 months um, you know, as things started to reopen or as some of the, um, especially being here in Niagara, a lot of the, a lot of things are outdoors, the parks and trails and things like that. Those started to really become, you know, sustainable and they held their own. But the, the hotel, motel, Airbnb business, that's difficult because you really have to do the job of convincing people that it's safe to stay in. Um, and you have to be very on point, on brand. Um, and even backtracking from that a little bit, you have to have people here first that are coming here to want to stay in a hotel or motel or, or Airbnb. Um, so, you know, that's the, that's a difficult thing. Um, I know our hotels here, the numbers have been down. Um, and obviously with the Canadian traffic being almost at zero, that has really hurt the immediate border communities because you don't have the Canadian uh, traffic coming in, those that do the weekends, those those overnight stays, which really during the non-tourism season are their bread and butter. Um, it's hard. And, you know, even even with having a good um, 
message, if you don't have the people here, it, it really, it's, it's kind of falling on deaf ears. So it, that's been a very, very difficult uh, thing to try to, to navigate. It's been, it's been hard. Been the same here. I mean, we're in lockdown right now, our second lockdown, full lockdown. Um, so our attractions are are shut down. Our our casino um, has been closed since March. Um, you know, there's nothing here. It, it's interesting because we still do get calls from Americans who are asking about, you know, where can I stay? Um, what would you recommend? What attraction would you recommend? Where, you know, would you recommend for me to eat? And, you know, when our staff says, well, the border is closed, you're, you're not going to be able to get into the country. They're like, well, what do you mean? Like, they just, I think the farther you are away from the border, right, um, the less sense it makes to you, <laughs> or maybe the less you follow it. But I can't tell you how many, how many times we get a call uh, from an American who's just so mad at us because we've, we, we were the ones to give them the news. So we usually refer them to Corey and then, <laughs> and then we let you deal with them. <laughs> I just let, I just let the phone ring. <laughs> so no, we've, we, we saw that here too, Dolores. We actually saw in the state when they had the travel bans from state to state, you know, people didn't understand why if they came from, you know, the Midwest, if they came to the, into New York, why they'd have to quarantine and COVID test and all those things. And you're right. The more, the farther away you are, it, it, it becomes less of a day to day. Like for us, this is an actual tangible thing. I mean, the border's right. right here. We can see that it's closed. Right. You know, when you get farther away from it, it becomes more of a theoretical, you know, this border, like people don't realize it's actually really, a, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, what I will say is that, you know, Niagara Falls, both sides, we are a world-class destination. And when the time comes, um, our, our businesses, our, you know, operators, our, our facilities will be ready. Uh, they've been working so hard at making sure that, you know, they've done everything they can to ensure that their facilities are safe. And when the time comes, they will be ready and we will welcome anyone and everyone. So, uh, and I'm sure Corey, you are going to be in the same boat. Well, and you know, going back, you know, we're all, we're all around the same, you know, time frame, age, you know, we're not that far apart in ages where we can all remember crossing the border between the U S and Canada was just a drive. Right. You know, you drove through, you waved to the, you know, the person in the toll booth and you went about on your merry way. I mean, we all did that. So I, I liken this to really the effects of nine 11 where after 9-11, the border changed forever. It, yeah. the, you know, there wasn't just that ease of traffic, whether it was commercial traffic, you know, tourism, whatever it was. And, you know, over time, there's still hiccups and people forget, but we adapted. And that's just what this is. This is just the new normal for us. You know, once this is over with, we, we will adapt. The border will reopen. There might be some changes for, uh, you know, a term but we'll get through it like we did after 9-11. And, you know, I think that's, that's the takeaway from this is this is not, this is not a permanent thing. We will, we will have an endpoint. We will get through this. It might take longer than we want, but we will get through it. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just weigh in real fast on that. Our, our, our role with tourism, again, I'm not, I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds because it's not uh, our area, but we've, we've, had the conversations surrounding the border mainly uh, with the tourism folks. And, and I, you know, and it, it's really two pieces. It's, 
it's it's you know the tourism industry itself the hotels the attractions and things but it's also the uh going both directions the 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 people that own property on the other side of the border and haven't been able to access their property uh which is a huge issue and i I guess you know from our perspective going back to what i said at the very beginning it's getting the conversation started and this is something that we have and I know that sounds fluffy, but but in reality, it, it's what needs to happen. Now we're having conversations at the at the institutional level, the business level. It's the governments need to need to need to sit down and and figure this out. And and we've got, you know, you've got the two federal governments. You've got and you've got the state and the province have a role in this too, which we think is very important for them to be talking. And you know, the more things get relaxed on, you know, I know Ontario went back into more of a lockdown, but as the more things get relaxed, the more you see opportunities for things that work. Um, you know, you, you saw the gyms saying, okay, well, the restaurants did this, we can do the same thing. Uh, and that opens up the door for, so now you're looking at, well, the airports are doing this. Um, we just opened up uh, here in New York uh, over the past few weeks. They opened up rapid testing to let people into the into the Bills playoff games. Well, here's another, uh, you know, another technology that that the state has said we trust this to to tell us the real story, and, and we're going to move forward. So, how do you now take those and say, okay, well, here's another application for it at the border, um, but it takes everybody sitting down with an intent to uh, to actually do get something done. And, and like I said at the beginning, this has been, you know, this is yet another issue that we and, and our advocates on both sides of the border that we've, we've pulled together often um, have said on every topic on uh, pre-clearance was a, was a topic on, uh, uh, you know, even bridge infrastructure projects going all the way back to Western hemisphere travel initiative is uh, we, we all see the border very differently living here within 50 miles of it uh, than they do in Ottawa and Washington. And we are consistently trying to get them to, you know, see this local point of view. And that's been a lot of the focus of our, of our advocacy group on which all, all of you sit. So, uh, so that, that, that those, those will continue and we'll continue to rope everything into that conversation. Gentlemen, uh, it's been a, a great discussion um, and one that I'm sure we can continue for a long time to come uh, as we work our way through this. Uh, thank you, Kevin, Craig, and Corey, and uh, Dolores. I will hand it over to you to close this out. Okay, well, well, thank you. That was a great conversation, and, and Scott is so right. We could talk for hours, I'm sure, <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll let you guys get back to work. So uh, next week, um, we're going to be talking about the Niagara real estate market here in Niagara. It is a hot one right now, and it's been hot for a while. So we're going to be joined by Stephen Kanjar. He's the uh, broker of record and president of Peak Performers Realty. Uh, Barb Scarlett's going to join us. She's a broker with Century 21 Today Realty. And uh, Neville Kidd, who's the senior account manager with Desjardins. I'm interested in hearing their thoughts on what's happening in Niagara's real estate market right now, why it's happening, what it means to the community, and where they see it, um, where they see it going. Um, I think it's going to be another great conversation. So to all our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in, and everyone have yourselves a wonderful day. Thanks, Dolores. Thank you.